How you doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to the very first episode of Ready to Record from Regrow Studios. My name is Daniel, the D3 Cohen. I'm your host, and I'm talking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I'm an 18-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you, I make music in my home studio. And as Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas have shown the world, a lot can be accomplished by young artists and producers working from home. This podcast is about the joys of making music and records. It's about learning about how it's done right sharing information and inspiration now this podcast is for music lovers music pros of all stripes but hopefully it will be especially helpful to all the people making music from home like i am maybe we can be a small part of helping you to realize those big dreams and to accomplish those big goals in every episode of ready to record i'll be interviewing a veteran musician producer engineer or gear maker I'll ask them about their careers, people they've worked with, records they've helped make, gear they've used, do's and don'ts, and just try to learn everything we can. So hopefully with this information, we can follow in their footsteps and make great music ourselves. We are very, very excited to be able to bring you our show on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I know I'm really excited to be a part of Pantheon. This is a true music lovers network where the music, the artists, and the fans come first. Pantheon is of, by, and for music lovers, and it's a real honor to have one of the co-founders of Pantheon Podcast Network as our very first guest. Jared Danielson is the chief sound designer for Pantheon and the owner of Busy Signal Studios. So, welcome to our first episode, and thank you for joining me on this journey. Today we are joined by Jerry Danielson. Jerry's a multi-instrumentalist, engineer, and producer, and has extensive musical credits in film, television, and theater. He composes, records, and performs in modern, classical, jazz, commercial, and experimental music, as well as composing for electric instruments and traditional orchestras. Jerry is also an interdisciplinary artist who directs and produces films, is a published poet, an educator, political commentator, and studio owner. He is one of the co-founders and chief sound designer of Pantheon Podcasts, our network, and his studio is called Busy Signal Studios down in the Los Angeles area. Now, Jerry has forged a really unique path, and I'm really excited to talk to him. So without further ado, Mr. Jerry Danielson, welcome to our first podcast. Thank you. Good to see you, and nice to meet you. Likewise. So I, we've talked about this a little bit already, um, and I know you spoke about this with my father uh, a bit. You you do a bit of everything, actually. You do a, a lot more than a bit of everything. You're a poet, a political commentator, a multi-instrumentalist, composer, engineer, filmmaker, producer, and studio owner. You play on a bunch of recordings, many more than I could count off the top of my head you've composed contemporary classical jazz commercial and very experimental music you've composed for everything from film to television to theater quite an impressive resume you got so how the hell do you sleep <laughs> um some nights better than others it, it i am very busy um with this virus coronavirus thing things have slowed down a little bit but I am composing now, but you're right. I mean, it, sometimes somebody has to have their, their normal full-time work. And if they, and if you want to do something in addition to that, you have to push yourself. Let's say you have an eight hour gig, then you want to do something else. You have to end up going 12 hours, you know, or 14 hours some days or not take a day off. But yeah, many years of my life, I have gone with way over eight hour days, going into six and seven days a week kind of thing. And that's kind of, if you're motivated and driven particularly about a certain project or something that's going on and you have the passion to do it, then it doesn't seem as much like a chore. And, and like, I really want to get such and such done, but I've got to do some other stuff too. So you just fit it all in. No, I totally get that. I mean, the past eight-hour days makes a lot of sense to me growing up with uh, parents who are in the music industry. 
you know, they they often work far more than eight hour days, anywhere from 12 to 17 hour days from time to time. And, you know, depending on the work, it either goes on forever or seems like nothing. So I, I totally get that one. Um, what got you inspired to be a multi-instrumentalist? I mean, I've, I've, I've noticed you are, have been a multi-instrumentalist from a very early on time in your life. But what was the what was the idea of I want to play it all instead of ooh I want to focus on this? Well, I I'm inspired by different instruments, and what comes out naturally is different depending on the instrument I play on. Um, I have focused actually prime. I do have primary and secondary instruments. So gotcha. yeah, primarily guitar, bass, piano. And, um, but I play drums too. I do singing too. Some people say I'm pretty good at it and others might question that, but, um, <laughs> I play, but I also teach music. I teach lots of instruments. I understand how they work and I have studied them. I just don't put hours and hours and hours of time into practicing like cello, violin, saxophone, clarinet, you know, um, woodwinds and strings like that because there is a limited amount of time and to practice each of those instruments, the amount of time necessary to become really good. There were times in my life I focused on guitar, for instance, and I would play, you know, lots of hours a day, you know, eight hours a day practicing through my late teens, particularly guitar and bass. And I got into my twenties actually and played a lot of keyboards, writing, writing for a film, particularly for me is a lot more keyboard oriented, particularly because the keyboards obviously can trigger samples and trigger other sounds and you can orchestrate. Uh, for me, I can orchestrate much easier and uh, with a keyboard and particularly since MIDI, you know, which came out in the late 1980s, uh, one could use MIDI with the keyboards on and computers, there was a program called Digital Performer. No, wait, it was just called Performer. Take away the digital. Yeah, way back. Performer, before it was digital, you could record just MIDI. So I could orchestrate parts with the keyboard and the MIDI way back then with sound modules before there were like samples on computers. So ever since then, that's something I studied at CalArts, by the way. And ever since then, I've been uh, continuing using that as a way to do my more quote unquote serious uh, music composition. Right. You know, I feel that's a common thread, not just for composers in film and TV, but just composition in general. I feel like the piano is the root of kind of everything that we do because it is such a, you know, it it's all encompassing. It has every, bit of our spectrum that we use from the low notes all the way to the very high frequencies that perhaps a soprano or even a sopranino singer would have in their vocal. Well, you have the you have the range on a piano of every instrument. There are no other instruments that go higher or lower. So therefore, as an orchestration arrangement tool, you can use that to write flute parts and bassoon parts, you know, and bass and tuba parts and piccolo flute parts and all those kind of things just on the keyboard. You know, it's, it's like the, the pinnacle of Western music achievement in that sense, you know, that all it's all there right out laid, laid out right in front of you. And the, yeah. And the flip side, a lot of pop music uses only keyboards. There's not a lot of guitar in a lot of pop music. I noticed recently it's coming back a little bit guitar, but for years, the producers would get in there and they'd do the drums and then they do some keyboards and they do some bass and it's just real quick or lengthy. It seems like some of it's pretty quick, you know, and they'd use the keyboards to trigger the various sounds and the guitar and a real bass and real drums and acoustic instruments don't even exist in that realm so not only for film and tv but for pop music and other genres and of course electronic music um you know right. the keyboard is the instrument for that stuff 
I was watching uh, one of your videos, Feather Rain. By the way, that's a that's a really lovely lineup you got there. Um, so you were playing everything in the video. Did you play all the instruments on the recording and specifically the drums? What were you using? Were you using live drums or did you program those in? Okay, so for that song, was it the song Grounded by Feather I Rain? Believe. Anyway, uh, yeah. but, okay, yeah. so that was in the video I'm playing everything, you know, and it's kind of fun just to make mm -hmm. a video like that. On the actual recording, I played everything except drums. I had a drummer come, a live drummer come in to play that. Actually, his name is George Green, who is a pretty pretty uh, well-known session guy who's a friend of mine. He played with Glenn Campbell and all kinds of people. And uh, in fact, the snare drum he used on that was the same snare drum that he used on many a famous Glenn Campbell song. So, so that snare is the same snare. So it was a live drummer, but when I'm recording my own stuff, I have to go across the room and it's, it's just harder to record drums and run the session at the same time for me. Um, but I'm I'm happy to do, and I, all the time I do uh, keyboards and bass and guitar and singing and run, run the session, but drums, I usually have somebody gotcha. else come. Gotcha. Um, I do play a lot of instruments like you. Uh, obviously, you know, I think we both share guitar, bass, drums, piano, things like that. Um, and on on recordings, I do a lot of playing with myself, you know. Uh, duets, trios, quartets, things like that. Um, and while it's convenient, I often find myself longing for other musicians to play with because I find I find it sometimes gets a little stale. Um, have you ever found that recording music with yourself um, as the entire band gets a little stale? Do you prefer doing that or do you prefer having a live band come in? So that entirely depends on the style of music for me. Like I cut my teeth as a teenager and in my 20s playing in rock bands, some jazz, some alt rock experimental stuff like you said, lots of bands gigging all the time, mostly in the LA area, sometimes down to San Diego, sometimes up to San Francisco. And the interaction and spontaneity of good players playing together is something that can be golden. Um, it can be amazing. And there was this one bass player I played with in different iterations for 10 years, and he was an outstanding musician. We could just literally look at each other and know that we're going to change key, you know? And, you know, we had a thing, if you'd get lost or change key or something, just go to D minor. <laughs> So, so we would just, oh, I don't know where I am. We'd look at each other, go to D minor, you know, it's just like, so we would even do performances that had lots of improvisation. So that kind of thing certainly is lacking in doing everything myself. But if I'm composing music for film or for a musical, I'm working on a musical now, I'm when I'm writing the music, I'm just playing the different instruments and recording it as I figure it out as like a demo kind of thing. Then later I will be bringing in like violin, a violin player for sure. And maybe a cello player, maybe even a harmonica player for this particular thing, because I'm not as professional on those instruments. You know, it's good to recognize what you're good at and what you're not, you know? So, but in the, short run i can play the little violin part on the keyboard which won't sound as good as a real player you know so i still and even with a film score particularly with strings like if i have all kinds of great string samples but a real violin over the top of it gives the timbre of more authenticity i think to some of the other sampled sounds even though some of my samples are really are really great having said that Recently, I have up until this virus stopped it, I had been playing in a rock band again, which was just good old fashioned fun. You know, I play lead guitar, I can do the crazy screaming, shredding lead stuff, which I hadn't done in a long time. 
And there's just a lot of fun to that. And live performance, there's an energy there that's different than being a studio rat, you know? Yeah. There's that studio tan saying, like, you're indoors so much, you know, you get a studio tan. And two different ways to do music completely, you know? Um, The other thing is, when I'm in the studio writing, sometimes I'll write it all out and do the, the academic approach. But sometimes I'll just let myself improvise. And in that sense, it can be more playful, more fun. And there can be like these happy accidents that happen. Like I would have never thought of doing a certain thing and I just did it on spontaneously. And I like it better than the pre-planned one. So allowing myself to do that uh, can bring some of that same kind of spontaneity in. But I think to answer your question, yeah, I get sick of myself. So playing with live players can be great. It just depends on the circumstance, you know. Do you find studio to be a sanctuary in that sense? Or do you, you know, look at it with disdain sometimes going, ugh, I have to go to the office now. (laughs) Is it sometimes both? Sometimes both, but uh, the last probably couple of years, more sanctuary but I have definitely had avoidance behavior and the studio is part of my house and I'll still like avoid going in and, you know, it's not like I have to go very far to go to work, you know? Um, and there'll be some avoidance behavior for like a half an hour. I'll fight it and realize now's the time to do the dishes or something, you know? But eventually when I get in here and start working, then you get into the zone, you know? So I'd have to say lately, uh, it's been more of a sanctuary, but there have been times in my life it's been more of a dungeon, you know, like I feel stagnant, I feel lonely, I feel like I need a break and that kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of it is perception, you know, what 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 is your perception for the day? What How passionate are you about the project you're working on? What is the, mm. what is your process? What is your end goal? Is there a strict deadline? And, you know, sometimes there's always the case where there's a strict deadline and right then Pro Tools will decide to do something it's not supposed to do or (laughs) your monitor will just stop working, you know, or something happened, you know, that so there could be all kinds of frustrations in a studio. So once again, lately, it's been it's been easier for me for some reason, my state of mind, whatever, whatever creates that kind of perception, you know. With so many projects, you know, all the all the composition, the bands, everything like that, and the studio, maintaining a studio takes a lot of work. Um, where do you find the balance of, you know, uh, maintaining studio, recording in the studio, uh, doing other stuff like that? So you, you take the next indicated step. So, so, um, if I have client before pre virus, if I had clients that were going to come in and there was something disheveled or something like that, I would take the time before they came in to prepare it for that session. Um, lately, because I've been in here by myself so much, there's a bit of clutter around because I know I'm going to need this thing and this thing. And, you know, you can just be play the mad scientist and just grab things and throw them in. Um, so again, take the next indicated step. If I know I'm going to track drums before that person will come in, I won't necessarily get a drum sound, but I'll have everything ready to mic the drums up in just the right way without stuff in the way. And that's where my headspace is. You know, if I know I'm going to be tracking a full band, then I certainly have everything set up and ready to go to some degree. You know, some, some of it has to be set up once they get here, especially if a band brings their own amps or whatever, then I can't mic the amps ahead of time or whatever. But so that's just kind of how I do it. I take the next indicated step. I have a priority, priority for the day, priority for the week, priority for the month, and just make sure it all gets done. And there's a certain amount of of just emailing and phone calling and, and scheduling. And there's a certain amount of time per day I am scheduling, emailing, and get it, trying to get new clients, maintaining present clients, you know, finishing up people who have almost finished their projects and 
getting people in touch. The, it's a busy thing to do if you have a lot of clients, you know. So that's why I say just take the next indicated step. Right. Um, and with all those projects going on, do you find yourself jumping from one till another, or do you stay focused on one till it's completely done? It. Mm, that depends. If I have a song that has to be, so if I, so I write some cues for a company, a licensing company for TV shows. And if they contact me, we need a cue by the end of the day. I am going to focus on just that particular cue and I'm not going to, you know, I won't even, I won't answer the phone or what, you know, I have four hours to do this cue and I'm just going to eat while I work. I'm going to do whatever. Um, but like right now, for instance, I am, I am beginning composition for a feature film actually, but I'm about a third into a musical that I'm doing. And I'm also finishing up this other song that I've been doing. I also have sound design I'm perpetually doing for Pantheon podcasts. So I'm always something will get thrown at me and they need it. So I have to take an hour or two or however long it takes to get this podcast up and running in an, a decent audio way. So there's juggling that goes on for sure. It, de it depends. Right. And I, I, for me, I give myself deadlines. Like there's no deadline set in stone for some for the musical that I'm doing called the waterway, by the way, plug, plugging the waterway, um, that there's no deadline per se, especially with the virus, but I give myself goals. Like by the end of this week, I am, go I am going to complete this one particular song and lay the groundwork for this other song. And I usually stick to it unless some crazy emergency comes up because then, because then, um, then I know it gets done. So I act like that right. deadline is just as important as if it were sort of a real deadline. But in the long run, it is a real deadline. If too much time goes on without doing certain things, and it's just nothing's getting done, you know. The universe appreciates activity and action. If, if you're in action, writing, recording, and doing stuff, then usually you're going the right direction, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I know my dad who I'm sure you uh, heard briefly, he's a lyricist. He always tells me, you know, keep writing, keep writing, keep working, keep recording, all that stuff. Um, yeah, even if, and you know, writer's block, I don't, I don't give a lot of, I don't pay attention too much. I think it's kind of a false thing in a way, because for me, I'll just, I'll think, okay, what I'm doing right now is not my best but I'm still doing something. So I'll go ahead and just do something because I can go back later and craft it and shape it and edit and do whatever, whether, whether those are words or music. And many times there might be the genesis of a different idea in there that if I would have just given up saying there was writer's block, then that, that wouldn't have happened. You know, at least the, there's a forward motion. So, so even if some days, it isn't an A plus grade. Some days it's a B, you know, or a C plus. There's something that there that could be used later with a rewrite or an editing, and it's better than just giving up, saying I have writer's block, because that's a that's that's too self defeating for me, you know. And when I went to Cal Arts, they were saying one of the things that we're taught kind of is we you just are that's it's an activity like anything else like people go do stuff you have your job you go do it you just write and you know not every day is going to be the most genius masterpiece you've ever done but the more you do it the better you get at it you know if you're a carpenter and okay now i'm going to build my first chair so you hammer get these nails and wood and hammer and you build it and you got it you got your first chair and you can sit on it and it's okay, but it's a little crooked. It's a little ugly, but you keep building chairs. By the time you get to your 20th chair, that chair is going to be way nicer than the first chair you ever built, you know, and not every one of them is going to be perfect, but you're, you're, you're learning your craft and you're always growing by doing that. Mm -hmm. Now you brought up, you brought up whether it be words or music, um, and obviously you're a poet as well as a musician. Um, 
So I'm interested to hear your opinion on this question. Do you do you think writing about write, writing poetry? Uh, do you think about that in a similar way as writing a piece of music, or are you in two different mindsets between music and poetry? They they can cross over, but for me, I'm usually in two different mindsets. Uh, most of my lyrics rhyme. Mm-hmm. and and have have a more uh, sing-songy kind of thing going on. Most of my poems don't rhyme and have a whole different kind of pentameter, you know, a whole different kind of rhythm to it. And even the subject matter uh, is usually different, although sometimes the subject matter can be similar. So, But th- those are two different things that, I started with poetry. I remember writing as a teenager going, okay, I've written this and showing it to people. It's not really a song. What is it? And it's not quite prose. And I had some other friends of mine, these older folks that I knew who were writers who had some influence influence on me back then said, well, that's poetry. <laughs> so I go, Oh, that's poetry. You know, it doesn't have to be, uh, the right, the kind that you learn in third grade, you know, poetry is, can be free verse and all kinds of, of uh, ranting. It could be kind of anything. And so once I identified that that kind of writing, which isn't a song lyric, can be poetry, I, I appreciated poetry for itself, for it being its own genre. And I would set out, I'm going to write a poem because I get an idea that seemed more poetic. Although some people are good at crafting poetic uh, kind of things into songs like Bob Dylan or or many people. Um, I've always had a different kind of take on poetry than song lyrics. When you're writing, um, where do you find yourself more comfortable writing? be it music, poetry, do you, do you sit in your studio? Do you prefer to, you know, sit with a pen and paper on the couch, perhaps an easy chair? Are you one of those guys that writes on a napkin at the dinner table? What, what's your, what's your preferred space to write? When I was younger and I had a job that I didn't like at Kmart, (laughs) I had my lunch break and I would grab their napkins with a pen and write stuff thinking I need to be productive somehow working at this job I don't like. And I collected all these napkins and I, I later typed it all out and called it napkin thoughts. <laughs> so that answers that. But usually with writing words, I am, if, if it's poetry, I'm not in my studio. I'm just sitting in the living room with a pencil and paper because I like the pencil because I can erase. And and going through it. And then if I like it enough, I type it up. And if I'm typing, I do more editing as I type. So um, when I'm writing music, I have a piano actually in the house with an acoustic guitar and some other stuff. So I have my studio in one area, but in the house, there's also a music room. So I go into the music room in the house to do writing unless I know I'm gonna write and record at the same time. Like when I'm doing this musical, I know if I get an idea how it's going to be layered, I'm just going to record this idea as I write it. So, um, so again, it depends on what the project is for. But many times I'll go to the piano and just sit in the house and write uh, and just play the piano and come up with ideas that way. What got you to the setup that you have? I, I think I noticed in one of the photos of your studio right next to your desk is something that looked a bit like a Tascam 388, but I couldn't be certain from that far away. Okay. Um, unless it's a really old photo, it's not a Tascam 388. Um, I have, so what got me there, you're asking. So I, I was telling you before, when I started into Pro Tools, so I started recording, I'll even back up farther. I had that Akai 12 track machine that I use. It's a tape machine, half inch tape, 12 tracks. And it was pretty good for its time. And I used that quite a bit, even recording 
some pretty decent bands, you know, and um, the, the tape looked like little video beta cassettes and, you know, you're limited to 12 tracks and it's re and, uh, and it's tape and you have to do bouncing and stuff. So I got into the digital recording with a whole different setup 20 years ago. And then, um, then got into Pro Tools probably 15 years ago. So at that time, there was Pro Tools 5 or 6, I think. And I had a Mac G4. And you had to have, I'm looking right now, it was called an 888 uh, digital interface. I had an HD system. And those things were incredibly pricey. And um, But that was what you had to have. And you had to install this card into the computer to hook up the 888. Then there were 882s. So I had two 882s and an 888 anyway. So then getting into uh, more modern Pro Tools, getting into 9, 10, 11, and 12, I just used, uh, I just bought this Focusrite because it's it's completely adaptable to my system and it, I don't feel any hindrance from it. And it has enough tracks to mic the whole drum set and it has enough uh, to do what I need to do. You know, so that's how I got into the focus, right? And in addition to that, I mean, I don't know if your question is what other equipment do I have? I mean, the list is very long, you know, but I have, I have some, I have a universal uh, uh, tube amplifier and I have some other tube amps to make the mic sound great. I have a bunch of Rode microphones and a Neumann microphone and, and, um, some great guitar amps like Marshall and uh, Mesa Boogie and great guitars and great basses. And like the keyboard I use most is a Yamaha. Actually, it has the real, it has touch sensitivity. So it feels more like a piano, but the, when I'm recording, I use the sounds from um, the ultimate 12, you know, native uh, instruments. Gotcha. I, I use a lot of those kind of piano sounds and those kind of samples. Plus some other stuff. Symphobia is a good one with string samples. And, um, you know, I have, I don't know, I'm looking around the room right now. There's probably too much to go down this sort of techno nerd list of, of everything I have. But um, in a nutshell, putting all that together uh, kind of makes everything work. The other topic that I thought I would just talk about, you could edit this in or not is my son, Sean, who is, who started the band Smile Empty Soul. Your dad mentioned him. Like I, you, I can, I can see the, I can see the cold. Uh, yes. Smile Empty Soul. So they, he grew up uh, in a, a broken home, as you'd say, because his mom and I were divorced, but he spent, you know, time with me in a recording studio. Um, when he was very, very young, it was a different location, but still a recording studio. So he knew, and all my friends were musicians, you know, so he would be in the studio hanging out while we're recording from the age <laughs> of zero, you know, and, and <laughs> right. by the time he was 13, he was multi-tracking and doing, writing his own music. He was playing the bass and the drums and the guitar and singing and writing his own little songs. And so to him, the recording studio, he knew it like the back of his hand. You know? So he got a deal when he was 19 years old. But how did he get that deal? Not, not because of that, but because he was a, a really great songwriter, you know, in my opinion, and good enough to attract all these people's attention and create a bidding war with all the major label people when he was 19 and 20 years old, you know, and went on a big right. full on national tour when he was 21. And um, so sometimes it is the songwriting and not mm -hmm. just that dad owned a recording studio, although that helped, you know, but that wasn't what got him the deal. It was the songs and the songwriting, right, right. you know, and, and, um, that was whenever it was like post grunge and everybody and their grandmother was trying to ride the wave of the 
rock grunge thing and a few bands got signed but most didn't you know mm -hmm. actually i'm i'm glad you brought up your son because that was uh that was one thing i wanted to talk about i've i've listened to a bit of smile empty soul i i would like to listen to more but i i'm very interested do you do you two collaborate often i mean i i I collaborate with my father from time to time. I was bringing up, you know, he wrote some lyrics for me. We played, we played some music together when he was a teenager, and we mm -hmm. played some music together when he was in er, his early twenties. But we rarely, we rarely have since then. And he actually lives in Arkansas and has mm -hmm. lived there for quite a few years. So we don't collaborate together. Um, when he lived with me, we would occasionally. Uh, sort of jam together but we mm -hmm. didn't really collaborate much in a serious kind of real project we did some fun songs together but his world was different than my world and you know i'd be working when he was free and 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 vice versa but we had fun playing music together for sure when he was younger and when he was younger did you did you have him play on any sessions for you he did play so i have a song called looking which came mm -hmm. out with my deaf ears CD. And I asked him to do this yelling part because he could do the yelling better than me. I can yell, but it sounds horrible. And he can yell and it sounds musical. <laughs> so, um, and he had practiced yelling and I went, yeah, I'm not gonna give you ex an example of my yelling right now, but you're, you're glad that I won't. Um, <laughs> I'll take your word for so it. So I had him yell this line, you know, looking for something or looking for something to keep me alive, something like that. So he is doing a guest vocal spot on that song. And then when I made a video of it, I had, I asked him to come and actually do the lip syncing for that line that he's singing on, you know, and the drummer for Smile Empty Soul, a guy named Jake did all the drumming on my CD. So he and I are friends and he has drummed, been my studio go-to guy for many a client, probably over a dozen, dozens you know i'm just gonna say way over a dozen uh people jake has come in and uh <clears throat> been the studio drummer if it's a rock song he's my go-to guy because he can play to a click perfectly you know and we used to call him one take jake you know he could just come in and talk about what the part is he likes it if you send him a song ahead of time he could practice his part so i have certainly collaborated with jake the drummer for smile empty soul more than I've actually collaborated with my own son, who is a singer guitarist and now plays bass a little bit because I play my own guitar stuff, you know, but he did do a guest spot on that. And some of the very early uh, Heckler's Veto was the iteration before Smile Empty. So I think I played keyboard maybe on a song or two. Gotcha. So, but it's been great watching him uh, grow up and become such a mature songwriter with a very prolific, they must have eight or nine CDs out and some of them are full length and, you know, they go to tour and they can choose any one of a lot of songs, you know, and probably their most famous was probably Bottom of a Bottle from their first CD which was on the charts and had all kinds of radio airplay and earned them some decent money because you got paid royalties when you're on broadcast radio, which doesn't happen as much now for rock songs. But back then mm -hmm. it did, you know, when they first started was like 2003 and four, I think, and went on tour and all that, you know, um, but, and they still have a very diehard following and, and can sell out tours and to this day they tour. Cool. Yeah. Totally cool. But he's no longer a teenager, that's for sure. But they <laughs> um, have some staying power, that's for sure. But they originally got signed because people heard the commerciality. And there's, an again, an authenticity. He was singing about stuff from the heart, from the brain. You know, there's an emotional component and a uh, thought component, you know, and sometimes a spiritual component and you put them all together with talent and a good voice and great melodies so that that's how that's what they've done you know cool totally cool yeah so um 
I guess that uh, is relevant to a conversation about my what I've done in music. I, you know, being very tangential to their band as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Jerry, thanks for coming on the program. It's been a real pleasure to have you on our very first episode. Nice meeting you, man. Feel free to reach out whenever you want. Looking for something to cover my heading for someone to keep me awake to the same thing every day. Looking for something to keep me alive. I had a lot of fun speaking with Jerry Danielson. It was so cool to talk to someone with a similar experience to mine in playing multiple instruments and having a home studio, as well as his vast experience in everything from the written word to film production. Out of everything, though, I was especially intrigued to talk to Jerry about his son, Sean, who's a fabulous multi-talent in his own right. Being that my father is a lyricist, it's always really fun for me to hear about other parent-child collaborations and their mutual love of making music. If you want to find Jerry, you can find him on his websites BusySignalStudios.com and Jerry Danielson, spelled D-A-N-I-E-L-S-E-N.com. If you want to find my complete conversation with Jerry, head over to my website, BlueGirlProductions.net. Welcome to Blue Girl Gear Talk. This is a segment where I talk about a piece of gear in my studio, a piece of gear I intend to get soon, and a piece of dream gear I hope to get in the future. Today we're starting with microphones from Blue Designs, starting with the mic I'm using right now, the Baby Bottle. This is a really affordable mic coming in at just two to $300, but for the money it's an excellent addition to any studio. Its frequency response and dynamic range allow this mic to be put in front of anything from the softest of vocals all the way up to loud drummers and guitar cabs. You know, people talk about everything but the kitchen sink, but if you mic'd up the kitchen sink, I have a feeling this mic would make your garbage disposal sound pretty good. Now, sometime in the near future, I'd like to get the microphone one tier above this, uh, the Blue Bottle Rocket. It's about $1,000, and it has all the same great features of its less expensive counterpart with the addition of interchangeable capsules. This idea of having interchangeable capsules is incredibly appealing, because it means that we as home recording engineers can have a mic set up and very quickly swap the tone we're getting directly from the mic itself. Not only is that a really good option for home recording, but it's a great option for any studio, really. Eventually, I'd like to go whole hog and get the complete blue bottle system, which includes a myriad of mic capsules and some extra goodies. It is expensive, coming in at anywhere from four dollars to $7,000, depending on what you order. I feel like if Imagine Dragons loves these mics, I don't see why I wouldn't either. This is Music from Blue Girl, a segment about current projects we have here in the studio. Today I'll be talking about a yet-to-be-released track called Moonlight, from my band, Danger 8. Featured on this song is trumpeter and producer Will Magid, aka Balkan Bump, who will be joining us on our next episode of Ready to Record. This clip is from the middle of the song, starting from the second verse and going all the way to the pre-chorus. Enjoy! Thank you for tuning into our very first episode of Ready to Record. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to you. 
Special thanks to our very first guest, Jerry Danielson, for being an incredible first guest. To all my home studio friends, check out Blue Microphones. I love them. I use them every day. I'm using them right now. Tune in next time where we'll be talking with a personal hero and a very dear friend, Will Maggot, a.k.a. Balkan Bum. I'll have some more gear to geek out on and some music I'm working on to play you. Thanks for spending some time with me. Check us out at bluegirlproductions.net and at pantheonpodcast.com. For now, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen signing out from Blue Girl Studios in San Francisco. We're ready to record.